Are you ready or no? For what? <laughs> Podcasting, silly. Oh, oh, that's what we're doing. That's why we're here with these headphones on our heads and Dude, these giant mics in front of our faces. I got lulled into a sense of security. How so? Because just now? Yeah, well, I my mind is was on the delicious pizza. That was good pizza. And the phenomenal coffee. And the espresso. Dude, it was like, dude, I don't even know, man. Why have we forsaken our coffee for so long? I don't know. It's because, well. <laughs> it's because. It's been really, well, not lately, but it was really warm for a while, and so we got in the habit of drinking cold drinks. So I think we're out of the habit of drinking hot drinks. Dude, it's co- it, it's like one of the best falls ever in the whole universe Do you know right why? Now. I think. Because um, Boulder was flooded? But yeah, I mean, everything's really lush, and so the colors are vibrant. I'm really happy today because the sun is shining. I see the leaves falling. Everything is bursting alive with the heavens are telling the glory of God. And all creation is shouting his joy. Dude, I was driving along one time. Come dance in the forest. Come play in the fields. <laughs> so, so I was driving with uh, Archbishop Charles oh, and, no. and, and the rector of the, of the semin- oh, no. uh, seminary. Can you sell the, tell this online? Uh, yeah, I can on tell this. On air? <laughs> whatever we are. <laughs> on whatever we're on. Yeah, what, I, I can tell this on headphones. Whatever we're on. Yeah. So <clears throat> we're driving along and... I don't know. I'm a first year seminarian, and oh. it's just me and these two guys, and uh, and so the, the Archbishop and the Rector. Yeah, Archbishop Charles Chaput, oh. and then um, and now Archbishop Samuel Aquila. He was there too. Yes. Wow, that's a big. The, I know. I was. It was a pretty cool car ride. Whose car I, was it? Um, it was our Archbishop Charles's, and uh, I'm like. The heavens are telling the glory of God. And and I'm doing this and I'm like, come dance in the forest and pee in the field. And Really? With yeah. your rector, the archbishop, and the founder of the seminary. So that wow. happened. What did they say? They just they did well the, this is the thing, is I'm a first year seminarian and you know me. I'm a little bit of a cut up. And and so they <laughs> That's did it a pretty they didn't want to laugh, but they found it incredibly funny because I did it. I did it with such abandon. There was no shame in <laughs> what I had done at all. Was there just like a dead point in the conversation? <laughs> like, well, nobody's talking. I guess I should burst into, <laughs> burst into song. I have no idea where it came from. I just remember the the, the experience. That came- is what makes you one of the most beloved priests of the archdiocese. <laughs> well, welcome everybody to the lanky guys or the word on the hill or yeah. something. Along those lines. No, you got it. You nailed it. Okay. I'm Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Mosset. And here we are. And um, the fields are awaiting you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that they are. Oh, yes. And as they should be. <clears throat> so we're we're just uh, we're just rocking, man. I, I'm we like, are. I'm uh, loving the fact that I can wear my sweaters again. Yeah. I'm happy I can wear my big puffy coat because I love it. In case you're not, in case you don't have not been attentive to the recent trends in fashion, but puffy coats are like the thing. Man. Yeah, I was in before. I was showing somebody. Oh, some people were over at our house on Monday, and I broke out my first puffy coat. Oh, which was like this massive. It's like the full blown. I'm climbing K2 today. <laughs> giant puffy puff puff, and I started doing chest bumps in it because it's huge and puffy. Dude, it made me happy to the, put it up. Now I have the slick, cool Patagonia, well-fitting. Patagucci, let's <laughs> Patagucci. be honest. Uh, Patagucci. I love Patagucci, though. I went looking for a great uh, a great puffy jacket last year. Yeah. And I couldn't find one. And I was like, I was like, A, I was like, I have surrendered my dignity and have decided to get a puffy jacket. <laughs> that, uh, that makes me feel sad about myself. No, no, no. Dude, come on. Think about this. You were born and raised in Boulder. Yeah. 
You were born and raised in Denver. That's I was. You know, you want to have full disclosure? Full disclosure. This is my dirty little secret. I was born in Cleveland. Oh. We made it here by the time I was three, so you know. Dude, that explains a lot of things. Those first three years in Cleveland, man, they really messed me up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, unless you're going to Cleveland, don't start the car, man. Amen. So no, um, it's uh. Yeah, that is that is the quote. Don't challenge me on this, man. Well, we just quoted it in the podcast a couple weeks ago. We did? With regards to Bettendorf, Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. There was, I'm there. going to Bettendorf. <laughs> don't, don't start the car. Don't start the car, man, because, dude, Bettendorf with calls. Um, <clears throat> and uh, But, yeah, dude, see, this is the thing. Is I was a punk rocker. Yeah. And, dude, I mean, I'm still wearing 14-eye docks. Yeah, you are at, the, at this second. <laughs> with straight-laced 14-eye docks. Yeah. Like, like, that to me is like a return to the roots. That's a normal expression of human behavior. I'm just dressing the same way. I've been dressing since 1996. <laughs> <laughs> and me, too. Yeah, well, there you go. All right. So, that's, so there you go. That's why the puffy jacket. My that... puffy jacket just fits better now, but <laughs> same deal. Dude, remember when your parents used to buy you jackets that were they like bought a, me that one a couple of sizes too big and oh, you'd yeah. say that you'd grow into it? Yeah, oh, everything they bought me was way too big, and they said I'd grow into it. I had one jacket my dad bought me, and, and was like it a, a starter jacket? <laughs> no. Did you take it skiing with your jeans? <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. That, dude, that was like... that's Colorado code for you're not from here <laughs> on the ski hill. Sorry. Yeah. That, uh, Welcome no. to pompous hour with the guys. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Yeah, wow. We just objected. We better get to some. We better right, get to yeah. this work. Well, do we have any shout outs before we go there? Because um, I do. Dude, I don't. I don't know about you. I got no shout outs. Nobody, no nobody, shout-outs, nobody man? like loves me. No, they do. You just don't ever read our email or our Facebook page. Oh, they oh, have yeah. plenty of love for you, but I'm the only one that reads. It. <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry, guys. I love. I love you. You love me. You, We're do. a happy family. family. So, um, I was watching Thomas the Tank Engine. Uh, <laughs> And um, <laughs> do you think he's communist? I think he's a commie. They're all big on being very useful engines, and if they're not <clears throat> useful, then they can't. Actually, I was on an art blog, and <laughs> and on the art blog, somebody took the crashes from Tommy the Tank Engine. Thomas. Thomas. Whatever. Tommy. And <laughs> dude, come on, I'm very familiar. We're friends. <laughs> <laughs> And and just did all of the crashes from the cartoon. I looked it up after you told me that. Did you did you find it? It's intense. It's kind of it, it's kind of scary. It's kind of scary. And, and they sad. and they put it to like this really really heavy metal. There's some bad crashes in Thomas. <laughs> I know. There's some really harsh ones. You can't keep watching. I mean, it's a little too long. They and needed their to eyes are down. spinning. And it's just sad faced <laughs> yeah. engines. Yeah, it was really funny. So, let's, we got some shout outs. So, my first shout out what is did the, that, yeah, where is did that the Thomas from? the Tank Engine. How dude. did that come up? We're a happy family. I was thinking about um, <laughs> the big purple guy. I got it. Barney. Barney. Or Grimace from the old McDonald's commercials. Dude, there was a band in Denver called Grimace that I got to be friends with, and mm-hmm. I loved Grimace back in the day. Oh, so. Grimace was the best. I my friend, My best friend had a jacket named Grimace. It was, guess what color it was? Uh, purple. Big and purple. <laughs> I'm just, I don't know, I'm just guessing. Was it a good guess? Did yep. I get it? Yep. Oh, thanks. Yep, you're good. All right, we should get to this. <laughs> it is like Wiki Wars. Have you played Wiki Wars yet? Dude, I love Wiki Wars. Have it you is played like, a game, though? Yeah. It's so fun. It's so fun. I would play it with you right now online, but I, I won two it. rounds yesterday. Dude, I did. T- I won, I've won every round of Wiki Wars I've played. Seriously? Yeah. Whoa. I'm good. Okay. You're on after this. Okay. 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 Uh, okay, so I have a shout out to, um, to Ben Stetland. Who came up? Um, we've given him shoutouts before. This isn't really for Ben. See, this is what we want. We want our listeners requesting shoutouts for other people. Yes, that was in. the whole whole idea. So Ben 
who um, he came up a couple of weeks ago because he made some nerdy reference to Harry Potter or something that was actually from Lord of the Rings <laughs> or whatever it was. And you said, oh, everyone's going to get mad, especially Ben Stellan. Anyway, Ben wanted to give a shout out to his Aunt Dorothy, who lives in beautiful Duluth, Minnesota, who listens to The Word on the Hill. And she actually, uh, um, she she let him know a couple of weeks ago when she heard. It was the Tooks in Harry Potter. Harry Potter. He called it the comment, the Tooks in Harry Potter comment scandal. So you really ticked off Ben Stellan when you said that. I'm sorry, Ben. But anyway, this is for his aunt Dorothy. So Dorothy, thanks for listening. Yeah. Hope it's not too cold up in Duluth. Father Mike Schmitz is up in Duluth. He's a, a friend of mine that does something. He runs the Newman Center up there. Oh yeah. So good, yeah. good guy. Yeah. He's got a podcast too. Don't listen to it. No, I'm just, kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Did, 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 listen all you want. Yeah, listen to all the I'm podcasts just you can. No, seriously, do. Okay. It was a joke. Okay. okay. I also so you'll like this. So here's my other one. Um, Jacob from where's Jacob from? Jacob from Pueblo, Colorado, had a great insight. So we we suggested to people what, last week or a couple weeks ago to send in their insights too. If they have really you know neat insights on the scriptures, send them in. Yeah. So Jacob sent me one. I was reading it in the car. Uh, Jacob sent. He had a great insight on the the gospel from last week. So check this out. This is very good. So Jesus, remember the gospel last week, the 10 lepers? Yeah. So Jesus commands the 10 lepers to do what? What did he ask them to do? 10 lepers leaping. <laughs> Five golden rings. <laughs> um, he, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. really tickled my funny bone. <laughs> yeah. He, mm. he said, go show yourselves to the priests. So it raises this question. Did any of the were any of the lepers faithful to what Jesus asked them to do? <laughs> okay, get over it. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I got a giggles now. Um, <clears throat> so, were any of them faithful to showing themselves to the priest? That's my question. I'm not even sure the Samaritan was. Was he? This is Jacob's insight. <gasps> do you see it? Yeah. Isn't that so? The Samaritan is shown as the only faithful one. But what does he do? He comes back and shows himself to Jesus, oh. the high priest. Isn't that an awesome insight, dude? Yeah, you, I, you I just gave me that. goosebumps, man. Well, Jacob gave you goosebumps. Jacob, who? Jacob, I, oh, I was afraid you'd ask that. Um, Mutz or Moots? <laughs> M U T Z. Dude, there's a reason I just said Jacob. <laughs> Jacob, I'm sorry if I've butchered your last name, That's which I'm sure I did in one of those options. Yeah. Anyway, awesome insight. Yeah, man, uh, that, that, that it rocks my socks. It rocked my socks. And I was like, Father Peter's gonna yell at rock my socks when I say this. <laughs> All right, uh, you got anything? Anybody you just want to say hi to? Um, I want to say hi to Ty. Ty? Listens? Ty, Ty Gilbert. No, really? I don't think he does, but um, <laughs> he, say, he sets up our microphones for us. He does. Ty's the best. And he takes them down and like so that we can live a normal life. And he makes food, and he's he's just an all-around. He he runs the show around here. He does. He, he's the major domo. Major domo. All right, up to the reading. So our first reading. So we're in the 29th Sunday of Ordinary Time, and our readings are coming from, first of all, Exodus... Dude, which, by the way, it came on my random on my iTunes while I was- um, The Bob Marley? Yeah, yeah, nice. the, the Bob Marley song. And and uh, and then it came up twice in one day while I was writing, and uh, it was cool. Riding or writing? Writing. Riding or writing? Room, room. Oh, okay. Sorry, I still couldn't hear it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 through 13. Yep. Uh, the second, the responsorial psalm is Psalm 121. Um a bunch of a bunch which, of which by the by the way, do you know that one of the things that I've been doing recently in confession oh, no. is I give penances and I'll just choose a random number from a psalm. Seriously? Yeah, I'll be like, I want you to pray Psalm seventy one, and I'm like, I don't know what's is in it that like for biblical you. roulette. It really is, dude. I'm like, I was like, I'm, and I usually tell him, I'm like, I'm just rolling the dice. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm like, I'm I, not, as long as you're honest about that, I can totally respect it. <laughs> the ones that I know, sometimes I can prescribe. Yeah, well, yeah, of course. Proper song. <laughs> That's really funny. All right, so Psalm 121. Um, the second reading is from Second Timothy, where we've been for a while. Chapter three. Uh, what? Oh yeah, chapter three, verse fourteen, and then chapter four to verse two. Um, then finally the gospel. I I'm having a hard time. My mic is exactly in front of my computer screen, so I'm having a hard time reading. You, you can lower it. You can lower it. No, and dude, stuff. then it won't be able to hear me. This is where I'm, I'm comfortable like this. <laughs> I wish you could see his body position right now. No, it's good. This is comfy. It's like, it's like the most awkward position that's like overextended. So Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Hmm. And that's that's it. That's, that's what we got. That's what so, we're doing. We're sticking Good night, everybody. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening to the lanky guys <laughs> on the hill. All right. So <laughs> the lanky guys on the hill. That's not what we're called. I know. I I can't say it right anymore. I'm like no. a dad who who <laughs> oh, like geez. once got it wrong and then realized that he could always say it wrong from then on. I'm sick and tired of it. All right. So Exodus chapter 17. So this is the uh, faithful. This is a well-known story. Many, yes. Many of our listeners. Our listeners. I probably heard it. Our listener. That was for you, Ali Savardra. That was my imitation of your imitation of the creepy voice. You'll <laughs> You'll get it. All right, uh, the Amal- the Amalekites. <laughs> Amalekites. I'm in a super slime heavy mood, and this is like my eighth cup of coffee today. So I'm just. <laughs> I don't. And it's we, not, maybe not that bad, but I've had a lot of cups of coffee. And you were and you were going into Father Brady's office getting those uh, sweet tarts too. Oh, man. you were oh, hitting sweet tarts that's hard. That's what did it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hit the sweet tarts. <laughs> yeah, I'm hyped up. I hyped know. up, everybody. Woo. All right, so back to business. Chapter Chapter 17, verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked. The Israelites, Rephidim, Rephidim, Rephidim. Rephidim. So uh, the Amalekites. So here, here's the story to catch you up. Uh, this is just after the Exodus event has actually occurred in the book of Exodus. Okay. So they've been freed from Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. Um, we just passed the point where they got the water from the rock. Okay. So they've already kind of gone through the first phase of their... Well, no, they, they just got out, I guess, because in chapter 15, this is when they're singing their great hymn of release, right? The, the, the hymn of Miriam or the song of Miriam, where they've been released. God has freed us. It's wonderful. Um, in the next chapter, they get the quail at Passover. Remember, so they get meat to eat that comes out of their noses. Remember that? Yeah, because they were like, we want meat. And he's like, dude, I'm going to have you just coming out your noses. Their which, nostrils. Which, dude, Disgusting. Every, t- every time I have to barf quail through my nose... <laughs> Dude, it's really n- it's a pretty rough day. Every single time. Every single time. Um, then the water from the rock happens in chapter seventeen. So, so they're in the wilderness. It's kind of the very beginning of this. They haven't quite started to wander. They haven't gotten to Mount Sinai. They haven't gone up yet to get the law. That whole thing. And this group called the Amalekites comes and attacks them. The Amalekites are, um, I guess they're they're partially nomadic. They're a tri they're a tribal people that live down in the side the way southern part of the Sinai Peninsula down in the Negev. Mm-hmm. Um, they're mentioned back in Genesis chapter 14, um, that their ancestry. So anyway, this group of people called the Amalekites, I, I think our, uh, what does the reading say? It says Amalek came and waged war against them. Which um, must be the general of the Amalekites. I, no, I don't think it is. And maybe I'm wrong on this. But okay. I, I think, it, because other translations say the Amalekites, I think it's the same thing. Remember, this came up before. So the reading two weeks ago talked about you're not mourning for Joseph. And Got so sometimes it. you'll use the name of sort of the the founder or the, the principal person of your group of people to articulate them, right? So I don't think it's uh, Amalek who's doing this. I think it's the Amalekites. And that's that's why we're this. called Christians. Yeah, because we're named. That's why Israel was called Israel. That's the name of a person, right? Yep. So I think that's what's going on. So the Amalekites are waging war against Israel, and Moses therefore said to Joshua, this is 
is th- this isn't the first time Joshua shows up. No, he was his mouthpiece in Egypt, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. So this is uh, Moses' right-hand man. He's going to be the one who actually will lead the people into the promised land in the end of this because everyone's basically going to blow it and worship a golden calf. Even Moses won't see the promised land by the end of the story, but Joshua does, Joshua and Caleb. So he said to jo- <laughs> I just can't see it. So he said to Joshua, <laughs> pick out certain men and tomorrow... Um, and tomorrow go out and engage Amalek in battle, the Amalekites. I will be standing at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Um, this is a, a reminder sort of, of back in the Exodus story when they're still in Egypt. Remember when Moses held up his staff and actually could overpower the Egyptians. So it's this understanding. Okay, I'm going to hold up my staff um, and, that, that, and, and we'll be victorious is the assumption. So Joshua did as Moses told him. He mm-hmm. engaged Amalek in battle. After Moses had climbed to the top of the hill with Aaron and Hur... Aaron is going to eventually be the person who builds the golden calf. So there's there's kind of a downfall with him. I mean, come on, let's be honest about it. Aaron didn't build it. He just threw the metal in <laughs> and a calf popped out, dude. That is what Aaron actually says. It's it's one of the funniest parts of the Bible. When <laughs> I know, Moses just... confronts him. What did you do? Oh, the cow came out. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what happened. How am I to, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> I mean, we just have to have accuracy. Here, I man. love it. Uh, he will also be the high priest, though, so he's going to represent the, the priesthood in a certain sense. Yeah, um, the, yeah. the other, <laughs> what, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> yes. The other guy is a guy named Her, who is interesting because we don't really know anything about him, or we don't know much about him. It's it's kind of actually kind of a boy named Sue situation. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> laughing easy for a boy named Her. when's Her going to be here? Oh, I just got it. Uh, making me laugh uh, today. <laughs> <laughs> I got some more sweet tarts in my pocket. <laughs> oh, good. I'm still going to finish my coffee. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, we don't know exactly know who he is. He's probably um, the the son of Caleb, who is the grandfather of a guy named um, Bezalel, who shows up in First Chronicles. He's he's probably he, he's the person who is one of the main builders of the tabernacle later mm. on in chapter 31. So this is probably the grandfather of the guy who's going to build the tabernacle. Just cool. in short. We okay. don't really hear much from him again, but that, that's probably yeah. who it is. Yeah. So you got Aaron, you got her. Where are we? And as long as Moses kept his hands raised up, Israel had the better of the fight. When he let his hands down, Amalek had the better of the fight. Moses' hands, however, grew tired, so they put a rock so they put a rock in place for him to sit on. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. And Joshua mowed, isn't that great? I Joshua mowed, mowed down, down Amalek, Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. It makes me think of, think of the black hole. Remember that one weird monster that had like the weird spinning blades on his hands? No. Yeah. And what? He, What's the, what are you, the black it, hole, the movie? Is the, that in the Bible? Oh. Dude, it's in culture. It's one of the one of the monsters of Revelation. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Man, I okay. look at this, and one of the coolest things is all all just just ask yourself the question: If this is a prefigurement for something, what is it? And like getting to see Jesus Christ. There's a couple things in this. Like, uh, well, dude, I'm just I'm just gonna like shotgun this, and you're gonna help me, okay? <laughs> just because, dude. Okay, what do we have? The yeah. the the hands held up. Yeah. So we have Christ on the hill. On the hill of Calvary, with the, did I just? T- oh no! No, it's cool. It's good. It was, I just, it's, you're you're gonna you're gonna draw us there. there. You got there. You got there. Without, come on. Okay, talk okay. to me. No, but no, that's me where there we're going. First. Leave no, me there. Well, first. I, 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 so my only insight on this. Okay. Um, I worked for a bishop up when I worked for Focus. There was a bishop up in Montana. Um, he's in Wisconsin now, but he, 
I remember times when he was, you know, there were struggles. You've got to give the voice if you're Oh, Bishop Marlino. <laughs> Matt McCartney does the best Bishop Marlino. He does do a really good one. Um, but, you know, there were times when the church was having struggles and things were, you know, things just got messy. Things get messy in the church. And he was a new bishop and, you know, it was all these problems. And he used to tell us, he's like, what I need from the church when people would criticize him or kind of say, well, you're doing this wrong, you know, da 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 da. And he had some pretty harsh criticisms leveled against him at times, which were un- unjust and unfounded. But he would say, you know, as the bishop, this was always sort of his go to. He was like, I need the people of God. I can't do this unless the people of God are actually beside me holding up my arms. I need your support. I need the support of my priests. Mm. I need the support of the laity. But I actually need you. I'm just not some monarch that sits on a throne somewhere. I need to be able to shepherd you. But in order to do that, I need Mm. you holding my arms up, literally, or else it's going to be too hard for me. It's going to be too tired. And I loved that image. And I love that image of the Episcopate. And even you as a priest, you know, you need your staff and the people in the parish to you're not I just look, sitting up on the hill doing it. Look at me. Yeah. Well, I look, I look pretty silly. Yeah, you do. I mean, just like, dude, <laughs> just, I'm doing, I'm here with my own confession. Uh, yeah. Hey, look, I, I sinned. <laughs> did you sin? You, yeah, I did bad things. That's okay. This is ridiculous. I absolve you of your sins. Thank you. This is getting ridiculous. Dude, the, the, I, they didn't get to see the head positions that I did for that one. They were um, good. They were, it was, it was acting. But they were in motion, but yet you kept your mouth at the mic? Well, dude, what's super cool is that um, if you look, you have um, Aaron and her. Her, we never hear much about. Wait, who is her? <laughs> Who's her again? <laughs> Who's her? <laughs> what's her name? What's her name? <laughs> I'm sorry. Her, okay, yeah, we don't hear much about her. Yeah, yeah back her. On track, back on track. <laughs> back on track. And um, uh, but it's it's like Simon of Cyrene. Oh yeah, yeah. That would that's a great image. So Who so what that? happens is what is the staff of Christ that can that can be held up and totally oh, defeat everybody? Spectacular. It's, it's the cross, and it's like that's awesome. I mean, yeah, that's it's, awesome. It's just so so profound, and that as long as the cross is actually held up and exalted, wow, that's awesome. Then we remain in victory. When what is Simon doing? Simon's actually Simon of Cyrene. He's keeping the cross off the ground. He's holding it up so it doesn't fall. Wow. That's cool. What a cool connection. Yeah. The only other place I was going with that was, like like you already said, so St. Justin Martyr, uh, one of the fathers of the church, talked about this. I mean, allegorically, I mean, what is is Moses doing? He's forming the sign of the cross, like you pointed out. Arms outstretched. He looks like a cross. And if you read it, it says they do it. in In the Hebrew, it actually says they do it until just before evening. Here it says sunset or something. Yeah. But it's just before evening. So, I mean, put the time together. What is just before evening? Well, you know, around three-ish. Yeah. So what's Jesus doing? I'm in the cross at three o'clock. The timing is actually really cool too. The way it's kind of pointed out here. We, the, yeah, well, because the, then it's it's the long distance and and it's like. But what's cool is the prefigurement. Yeah, is that uh, we see from it victory, but the prefigurement is actually seeing how, like with Abraham and Isaac, God doesn't ask him to go all the way. See, so, oh, I see. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so as as um, as Moses is there, Christ does the same thing, but he actually gives Goes himself entirely. Yeah. Yep. And so we're we're seeing how God is in, inviting, but He's saying, "I'm going to consummate." Yes. You know, it's like yeah, absolutely. It's it's ninety ten, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the last thing I just thought of this as we as you were saying that, um, it, people always have a little bit of a hard time when there's war in the Bible and God seems to be fighting a war and how do you deal with that and this is tricky. Kill all the Amaleks. 
A man like heights. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, that's not what's going on. I mean, okay, two things to keep in mind. Here's I two mean, things. That, that's what people would say. Of course, but that's not what's going on. First of all, what's the first line of this? They're being attacked by a nation. They're sitting there in the desert. We know that. What's mm. happening? They're being attacked from an outside force. So, I mean, Which, by the way, is, this is a huge moment for them because like, yeah. they, they've left and they haven't had like a military yet. I mean, They like, don't have a military, for just, Pete's sake. They've like, been out in the wilderness for a couple of days. Yeah, I mean, they've been a slave people. Right, exactly. So that should tell you something about this because the Amalekites are probably a very well-formed, well-trained army. They're not. So let me just, as a side note, let's talk about David for a second. So the story of David and Goliath, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody loves the story of David and Goliath. Yeah. Um, but I just want to I want to read that in light of this for a second because okay. it's a better example of what I'm trying to show here. So David and Goliath, everyone loves the story. Why do people love the story of David and Goliath? Because the little guy wins. Because it's about the, the little guy. It's the underdog, you know. That's not how the Jewish people read that story. They didn't see, oh, it's the underdog. It's the little guy, you know, da-da-da-da-da. No, I mean, think about it. Um, Goliath was massive. That gives his height in, uh, what is it, Josh? No, First Samuel? Wherever that is. I, I, I don't remember. But they give his height. He's massive. He's powerful. Everyone's terrified of him. Who is David? He's a little shepherd boy. I mean, he's got strength. You know, he's got some wits about him, and he could he can kill a bear and a, a tiger and stuff. But here's this massive guy, and how does David actually do it? Just in, in case you didn't notice that David is outmatched in this battle, how does David actually bring him down? Well, dude, he tr- even tries on his brother's armor, and that his doesn't king's, work. His, the king's, the king's armor. Yeah, and he's like, dude, no. Nah. He's like, I'm going to just go. I'm going to strip down. I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> yeah. But he gets a sling and rocks. He gets a pebble, literally in the Hebrew. He gets a little pebble. The giant guy, and where does he hit him? He nails him in the forehead. He drops, and he dies. Now, again, I know we all love underdog stories. We all love stories of a little guy being victorious. This is a giant who is hit with a tiny pebble in the forehead by a little guy with no armor, and he dies and he defeats them. That's not a... I mean, if you're reading this from the Jewish perspective, of any sane human being's perspective, this is not a little guy who worked really hard and beat the big guy. This, as the Jewish people saw, was a 100% total, complete miracle of God. Mm. Because that shouldn't be... That shouldn't have happened. Mm. And just to drive it home, it's a pebble that does it. Which told the Jewish people not like, oh, David's so great. Wow, what a tough guy. He was able to do this. Mm. No, they said God has obviously fought this for us because there's no way David could have pulled that off on his own. And then they actually take David's sword. Did you know the sword he uses then to cut off Goliath's head? Mm-hmm. It's later put in the temple really? as a sign that God fought this. God did this because we could have never done this. So the idea is not look how great the uh, Israelites are when they fight against the Amalekites. Not look how great David is because he was so tough against Goliath. It's look, when God wants to fight a battle against all odds, he will make it happen. Not you, not you know your great army, not yeah. your military prowess, yeah. not your wits around lions and, and bears in the wilderness like David had. Yeah. It's God alone, which is, sorry, go for it. That's why I don't like Michelangelo's David. Yeah, it's true. I, dude, I think, I mean, like, it, it's great sculpture, but it has nothing to do with David. It doesn't. It's yeah, it's, just, it's like, a great sculpture, but it's just not like it's it's a very large naked man that looks very very um, powerful and good. Western European, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, I mean, and, and, but even the, then, I'm thinking of another statue that looks like Sting. I can't remember who did it, but it was some <laughs> Italian guy. It looks like Sting, is <laughs> David, and he's like he's like aiming, dude, and he's got like this look in his eye. I like that one better than than the other David, but yeah, you you have to acknowledge that you God. Have to. God won the battle, But man. that's not how we... We all know the story. It's our favorite childhood story, but we, we're missing. We're missing the whole point of it. 
Which gets us into the psalm. Which perfectly gets into the psalm. So look, look at what it says. So the Psalm 121 says, Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. But look at the first line of what we actually say. I lift my eyes toward the mountains. mountains. When sh- wh- uh, whence shall my help come to me? So what does this evoke? I mean, put this in the context of the story from Exodus. <clears throat> what happens if you're on the field of battle and you raise your eyes up to the mountain? What do you see? You see, you see Moses backlit by the sun with Aaron and her <laughs> either side, staff in hand, sitting on a rock. And so, what is your temptation to think? Where does my help and my power come from? Moses. It, it comes from that guy because he's got his hands up. He's doing it. What is the uh, psalm actually telling us? I look. My, I, I lift. What is the church's wisdom in connecting these two? I lift my eyes up to the mountain. What do I see? Well, I see this guy who's has the big staff and is being held up. Yeah. But where does my help actually come from? The Lord who made from heaven and earth. From the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so I think this psalm is actually an answer to the misreading of the Exodus reading. Whoa! Isn't that or the potential for misreading? Yeah. Did, Isn't that cool? Yeah. When I was uh, I was um, walking from Lourdes, France, to Lourdes. Santiago de Compostela, and uh, getting my, all your giant glow in the dark rosaries, awesomeness. That's do. what I think of. I love Lourdes. It's one of my favorite places on earth. But I can't think Dude. of Lourdes without thinking of all the giant glow in the dark <laughs> rosaries. Did, I know. It's Sorry. A, I like that, that they're all, all on the outside of the thing, man. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll tell you about Fatima someday, but this is the thing: is that uh, as I'm walking through uh, the Pyrenees, I'm crossing the Pyrenees, and like, dude, I just wasn't prepared for those first stages, and I'm like, I'm getting tendonitis, and I just kept on saying, "Our, uh, our help is from the Lord who made it heaven and earth." Wow. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth, and uh, it's just beautiful because I because I ended up meeting Nils, a um, biodynamic mm, dyna- farmer, uh, kindergarten teacher who just retired, and. Um, and it just reminded me that the, our, my help was from the Lord, not from that's awesome. from Nils. <laughs> but Nils was pretty cool. Nils is cool. So Timothy, Second Timothy. Um, hey Timmy. Um, he just heard me in heaven. I'm sorry, Timmy. I didn't mean to be condescending. Let's see. What do I have to say about Timothy? I was so busy focusing on the first reading, the Psalm, and the Gospel. I know. Um, I didn't. Uh, so this is a gr- it's a great passage. So again, remember, 2 Timothy, keep it in context. This is Paul writing at the very end of his life, his deathbed letter to his best friend. Yes. What do you got? No, just keep going, keep going. Okay. Keep going. I was just going to read it then because the couple parts stick out. So beloved, remain faithful to what you have learned and believed. Oh, you know what? Let me let me just say something here. Okay. Remain faithful to what you have learned and believed because you know from whom you learned it. It's really small too and I'm really far away from this. Um, and that from infancy you have heard the sacred scriptures, which are capable of giving you wisdom for salvation through Christ Jesus. And it goes on to talk about all scripture being inspired by God and useful for teaching and refutation. Mm-hmm. But think about that first line. Training, and again, we're thinking of the wisdom of the church here. So what's Second Timothy? What's happening in Second Timothy? Well, Timothy is Paul's best friend, probably. His right-hand man, his yeah, disciple. His He's dude. the one who is left in charge as the bishop of Ephesus. All by you. And this letter... No, no, I'm just kidding. No, at all, but yeah, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> not he's left in the slightest. Him, uh... He's left him in charge as the bishop there. Yeah, and a lot of the letter is both le- both letters to Timothy is how he's going to have challenges and big problems, and people are going to make fun of him for his age, and you know, da 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 da. And he's basically saying you have to stay strong, you have to be faithful, et cetera, et cetera. And he begins by it, this section by saying, "Remain faithful to what you have learned and believed." And if you, I'm, I'm thinking about this in light of the first reading. Mm. What what's happening? I mean, the temptation there, if you're fighting the battle against the Amalekites, to look up at the mountain and think, well, Moses is doing this. 
But what 2 Timothy is reminding you of, no, 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 think back to what you learned originally and believed. What you saw in Egypt was that God alone is overpowering the Egyptians, is that God separated the sea and parted it so that you could come through. You have learned and believed by seeing all the profound things that God is doing. So Mm -hmm. now, as you're in the midst of battle, and maybe you're actually being overpowered at times, Mm -hmm. you need to put your faith back in that. And if you translate that then to um, uh, Timothy, who's the bishop of Ephesus, which is going to be a hard, big, challenging job. He's too probably young for. He's got to remember as you go into these battles, remember what you've learned and believe. Remember what you have seen. Don't forget. I mean, that's got to be a good advice for any pastor, I would assume, or any Uh, bishop or any priest. It's essential. Remember where you've come from. Remember your past. Remember what God has done for you. Yeah. Which So I'm reading it in light of the first reading. And be persistent, whether it's inconvenient or inconvenient. What, <laughs> what did you just say? Inconvenient or inconvenient? Whether it is convenient or <laughs> inconvenient. Whether it is. Whether. Um, but this is the thing. It's, it's persistence. It's like, uh, yeah. wh- what did Moses do? He realized that he had oh, to good, ascend yeah. and to actually persist in the midst of this. Because yeah. that one of the hardest things is that we've been drawn into Christ. And so at the same time that we're fighting the battle, we're also actually meant to be icons and... To be on 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 the hill with the Lord, yeah, and well, so we are, we are on the hill. We're on the hill. Oh, <laughs> I better put my hands up and get my staff. Actually, I do have a staff right outside of my door. Which door? It's a bow staff. Nice. You also have this pole right here. That's my bow staff, dude. That? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It looks like a curtain rod. I know. That's what makes it so deceiving. It's like, <laughs> oh, but then I break your ankle. He's just bringing a, a curtain rod to war. <laughs> No, no. (laughs) (laughs) The dude is a curtain maker. What's going on? You have an insight. Are we moving on or are you inciting for me? On Second Timothy? Yeah. No, I'm good. Okay. That was my insight. I gave you. Is it not good enough? Dude, you're not good enough. Oh. Lift my arms up, man. That's really hurtful. Counting on you. I'm sorry. That was hurtful. I really didn't mean to hurt you. I know. I'm just kidding. It's good. We're good. Okay, we're good. I'm crashing from all the coffee. (laughs) I know. know You you, (laughs) podcast crash. Dude, there's some candy somewhere. No, dude, I'm good. I don't need that. Maybe I do. No, I don't. I don't. Okay, so the gospel. The gospel. Luke 18. Of Luke. Dude, so there was a there was a parable about a judge who yeah. was afraid of getting the smackdown from a little girl. Yeah, she wanted. Well, it's to, not a little girl. I know she's an old woman. <laughs> we don't know her age. Dude, she's dude, just a widow. She's a widow. So that, she could have been a young widow. Did she? Okay, so let's let's put I'm her. Saying. Let's put her at like twenty eight. Twenty eight. That's pretty young. I know. Well, I mean, hey, dude, you got married at fourteen when you were in that age. I didn't. But yeah, I mean, fair enough, dude. No, I'm with you. That's the legal age in the church to get married. 14? Uh-huh, for women, really? 16 for men. Really? Yeah. So, okay. I mean, you can't be married underneath that. I mean, but Would like, you marry a 14-year-old? Heck no. Okay. <laughs> I, Dude, I, I wouldn't marry up. an 18-year-old, man. I just wanted to clear that up. Okay. Okay. So, uh, this, okay, so this is interesting. I, there's two, well, there's a lot of interesting things about this parable. So, by the way, we are in the middle of what is called the travel narratives in, God, in the Gospel of Luke. So, okay. in chapter 9, you pointed this out earlier. Yep. In chapter 9, it says Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. So, what, what the Gospels are doing, you have this, this basically map, this route that Jesus is taking. He begins every one of the synoptic Gospels, so that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mm-hmm. He begins every one of them doing ministry up in the north, up near the Galilee, right, and in the, in the Capernaum and the, the northern regions. Yeah. And every Gospel has kind of a turning point midway through where he sort of sets his face, which is a Hebrew idiom that means I'm going to do something that's going to be really challenging. And he sets his face to head toward Jerusalem, where he knows what's going to befall him there. He knows what's waiting for him. 
So Luke has the longest of these sections. So from chapter 9 through 19, he's on his way. And that means everything that happens in chapters 9 through 19 has to be read in light of where Jesus is headed and what he's going to do. And so you have all these stories some of them that are unique to Luke about people traveling places or a, ser- a master coming home or servants who are unprepared and all this stuff, right? And yeah. it's all in light of what Jesus is doing. Now, right here in chapter 18, we get two parables that are totally unique to Luke. Um, none of the other gospels actually have these two. And they're both about prayer. I think it's interesting though, the way he begins. So chapter 18, verse 1, it says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they... Let me read the translation. You're going to get in mass. Jesus told the disciples a parable about the necessity for them to pray always without becoming weary. Now, what's weird about that? Now, that's a Socratic question. I, I'm leading the witness. Well, no, I mean, like, I, I'll, you're leading the witness. I mean, I, I just think right back to um, to Moses. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of Jesus's ministry, what's weird about what Luke has just told you? It seems like a moralism. It's not. It's not just that. It's that. The parables are usually a little more cryptic than this. Rarely does Jesus or the gospel actually tell you exactly the point that Jesus is trying to make. Yeah, that's that's great, actually weird. That's a great point. Isn't it? it? It's the only parable that says this is what the point of the parable is before he actually tells it. Yeah, that's kind of creepy. Well, it kind of tells you the, 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 the sheer importance of it. Don't miss this. If you thought some of the others were cryptic and you kind of missed them, mm-hmm. don't miss this. Got it. Because this is really, that's how I'm seeing that. But it's just an interesting little literary feature there. Yeah. So that's that's um, the first thing. There's a judge who didn't fear God or respect anybody. Didn't fear God or respect any human being. And there was a widow in that town that used to come to him and say, render a just decision for me against my adversary. I actually, <laughs> I get, they're all kind of like this, but this is, I feel like, the most ambiguous of the parables. There was a certain judge in some city, and there was a woman who had some sort of an adversary and wanted this particular thing. And the judge it's was, also... <laughs> well, well what's, what's really weird to me is that why would... Okay, pray always without becoming weary. Yeah. Why? Why? I guess, I mean, it's supposed to be an analogous thing, because why you wouldn't want to... God is identifying with an unjust judge who didn't respect anybody. Yes. But you, he's just trying to get the spirit of, like... You well, know what? I want some justice, and I'm going to come after it. Which I mean, that is like the spirit of the people, right yeah. there. Yeah, and it's the the the, per, the purposeful hyperbole that Jesus often uses. I mean, he says you must hate your father and your mother. You're not actually supposed to hate your father and their mother, but in comparison to how much you should love God, it's like hating them. That's the idea here. In comparison to the love of God, I mean, it's this. It's setting up this kind of vast dichotomy in your head. I you, think you need to have perseverance as if you were not going to get it any other way, right. but by keeping at it. Right. And then realize it's God. Is that is that saying, you know, pray as if everything depends on... No, what is it? Say Vincent to Paul. Um, pray as if everything depended on God, work as if everything depended, depended on, on you. you. Which is a hard thing to keep straight because the temptation is, well, God will take care of it. He will, but we still have to work 100% and put all of ourselves into it. Well, because it's all dependent on us. No, it's dependent on God, but you have to... It's kind of a strange concept. Yes. But that's kind of what I'm hearing here. I have to point out, so th- I just think this is great. So she wants a just decision, and he keeps coming. For a long time, the judge was unwilling, but eventually he thought, <laughs> well, it is true that I neither fear... I, first of all, I think it's funny that he thinks, I neither fear God nor respect any human being. I like, just Is that what you think about? And, <laughs> he's right, like, funny. He's like, yeah, nothing really matters to me, but what I think. Because the, But because this widow keeps bothering me, I will deliver a just decision for her, lest she come and strike me. Some translations actually say, lest she come and give me a black eye. 
Really? Which I found that this morning. I found some translations that actually read that way, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> dude, I love that because, dude, she's, I mean, that gives you the idea of the dedication. Totally. She's like, you are going to render me a just decision or gonna, I am going to give you a you smack. Out. I'm going to knock you out. <laughs> out. Huh. Mama, Mama said, said knock, knock you out. out. Widow said knock you out. Oh. oh no, thank you. Um, but I think it's fascinating. So I was doing a little study with the focus kid, the focus crew this morning, and you were kids. you were eavesdropping on us. I was. Eaves. But did you hear what we were talking about with the widows? No. So oh the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the widows, uh, if they didn't marry within a year, or something like that, they yeah. they were they're going to get jacked. They're going to have everything taken. Yeah, the, the law. state could take all their property. So the, the what potential I mean, was there. Yeah. So the point of that is that widows are probably the most powerless group in Greco-Roman society. Nobody has less power than widows do. Because they, they're, they're totally vulnerable to everything, to the state who could just come and take everything they own because they're a widow. They don't own any property. It only belongs to the man. It's a mess. Yet this widow has the... the Gall. The gall, thank you, the guts, to go and be willing to punch this judge in the face. I mean, <laughs> oh, don't you love that? Yeah. And not only that, the judge is actually freaked out by her. So the judge is freaked out by being hurt by one of the least powerful people on the face of the earth, which is totally the theme of Luke. Remember we talked about this last time, too? The theme of Luke is these ironic reversals of powerless being given power and powerful being taken down from power. It's the whole Magnificat. This is a great example because this woman who has no power has got the ability to put the smack down on this guy. And I, I was trying to think of why would you be afraid of that? Well, you don't want to get punched in the face. But you also, I mean, imagine if you're a, ju- a well-respected judge who's walking around town with a black eye. <laughs> Mm. You'd actually probably lose a little bit of credibility. So yeah. she actually does have some power in this. Well, I just think about Jesus' example. I mean, mm. like we were just even even reading today in the in the readings. Today it's Wednesday, uh, Wednesday the the sixteenth or whatever, and sixteenth, um, yeah. And uh, and uh, the, the Jesus is uh, Jesus is like saying he's he's talking to the Pharisees and he's like yeah he's like you guys play uh, ties of rue and mint but neglect the weightier things of the law and then one of the scribes. Uh, raises his hands and he says, um, by saying this, you're insulting us too. And he's like, <laughs> and then Jesus really launches in on yeah, him. Yeah, it's true. And, then, and, and so it's like, I think about Jesus where, dude, he's persistent. He's like, dude, I'm going to win this battle and I'm going to go after you. And like, until this actually happens, yeah. like he's actually demonstrating what persistence is, but persistence and weakness. Yes. And that's actually the craziest part. Well, and that's actually the point of this parable too. So you can't read this. So remember... Chapter and verse divisions don't exist in the Bible. So yes. you gotta read this as one big lump. So what you actually have here are two are two parables about prayer. This one about persistence. Yes. The one that immediately follows in verse 19 through 14, I think, is the one about the widow's might. The one who's the widow who puts in her what, is that right? Yeah, your her two pennies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the Pharisees and the tax collectors putting in their great amounts and she puts in nothing. So what's that a story about? Well, that's about prayer as well, because that's what the preface just told you it was about. But this is about humility. So the two things that are kind of being held together in these two very unique parables to Luke are persistence and total humility, that you are small, that we are like the, the, the widow who puts in her two pennies, right? So holding these two things together. So you can't actually read one in isolation from the other one. So you have persistence, like this, this woman who's going to punch him in the face, but also the kind of humility that the woman at the temple has in the next parable. And if you look at those together in a big picture, then you have a pretty profound image of holiness. You were really deep in Dude, uh, yeah, dude. I, just, I'm like, sorry. I was just letting it like, like um, steep. Yeah, steep let, it, or let it steep. 
Like tea? Yeah, like tea. To transform the internals. Yeah. So that's what I got. Um, I uh, think that what you have is pretty good. That's cool stuff. I think that this is actually beautiful. Like I am... so I mean, it's just so clear the, the this theme of persistence. Yes, and um, and sure. persistence in weakness, and yeah. actually the yep. need for community, yep. and um, and uh, where where help actually comes from. Yes, exactly. That's that's help it. Yeah. Comes from God and from man. It's, yep. it's actually just not one or the other. Yes, that's true. That's good. And so, may you and your bow staves be raised. <laughs> <laughs> and that you have hands to hold them up. Uh, yeah, and and uh, hither, the, hither the evening hours. I hope her is there for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and her too. <laughs> and her too. Jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. I uh, hope you get a lot out of Mass this weekend. Um, we will see you there in spirit, as Paul points out. We're all there in the liturgy together. Dude, I United. love the fourth Eucharistic prayer for um, when it starts to go through this litany. And it's like um, we pray for um, everybody who's uh, gathered oh, here yeah. before you for all like and then it but like it makes this designation for all who are present to this liturgy and all those who are gathered here before you. Yes. And you're, no, like, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, me. I remember there was, used to be somebody and they'd be like, see you later. See you in the Eucharist. And that's how they'd say goodbye. Yeah. I've heard people say that. It's really beautiful. It is beautiful. Except for I always feel like way less holy than I actually should be because I'm really not thinking about that. No, I know. And then they say that and I'm like, I should have been thinking about that. My character kicks in and stuff. (laughs) Oh, well. Well, you guys um, share yourselves some sweet tarts and some coffee and get overloaded with stimulants and listen to our podcast. Amen. And uh, we'll listen to your podcast. If you have one, send it. We'll listen to it. We will. Sure. Maybe next week. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll see you next week, everybody. Bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.